Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world. From border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea, I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning in to the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. My guest today is none other than Mr. William O'Toole, founder of the O'Toole Law Group, specializing exclusively in health information technology. I've known Bill for a number of years, consider him a good friend, and he represents healthcare provider entities and technology companies really in all aspects of uh, acquisition, development, and distribution with special emphasis on EHR contract creation negotiation. And for almost 30 years, his work has exclusively focused on health IT. Bill, welcome to the Tate Chronicles. Welcome, Jim. Thank you for having me. I know as a trusted advisor to many of the companies in the HIT field, large ones, small ones, medium-sized ones, you often wear different hats. And beyond just the legal issue, your knowledge extends directly into the promises and challenges of healthcare technology. And I've always enjoyed our conversations related to interoperability. But first, let's go back to the beginning. What led you to focus on healthcare information technology in your legal practice? Where did it all begin, Bill? Well, that's a long answer. uh, (laughs) (laughs) About 10 years ago, I uh, was counsel at Meditech, and I had been Meditech's counsel for almost 20 years. And then I left and founded my own law firm. My start really began way back in the early 1970s. My father, a physician, he's passed away, but he was uh, Meditech's first lab customer in 1969. Hmm. Around about 1972, I was learning what computers are. I was 12 years old, and uh, I remember being in the lab in the middle of the night with, I don't know, six, eight Meditech techs who had come down to help out with some problem, and I was just hooked. So from there, after college, and uh, I went straight to Meditech and really, really enjoyed everything about it. I should back up and say I you know, was determined to be a doctor like my father, but in the midst of pre-med in college, he more or less waved me off. He said, if you think it's going to be just like it is today, it won't be. Everything will be different and it's not going to be the same. He didn't speak negatively, but uh, so I went to economics route and then ended up at Meditech, law school, corporate counsel. And uh, and I used to take phone orders from East Operating Systems for Judy Faulkner way back when in the commercial division at at Meditech. Yeah. You know, in short, I just, you know, if not a doctor, I wanted to be around healthcare. And these computer things back in the 70s amazed me, and I got hooked on it and stayed in it my whole career. You and I are just about the same age. I may have a couple of years on your bill, but uh, just to be able to experience uh, really the birth of computerization to where it is now and the direction is headed, promise of artificial intelligence and those other kind of things. It's uh, kind of uh, uh, reminds me a little bit of my grandmother who uh, back in the day, first time she was a teenager when they put electricity in her house. Uh, and uh, what a difference that make. Uh, she used to go around the house, screw on the light bulbs tighter because she was scared electricity was going to leak out. So uh, hopefully uh, we're not quite at that place. And uh, we 
what happens in healthcare now could be not be done in terms of uh, the types of access we have to data and reimbursement, those kind of things. But let's talk a minute about some of the work that you have done uh, for HIT vendors. Um, I'm sure there's some common mistakes uh, that have been made for vendors in their terms of service that might bring liability. What are some of those common mistakes you've seen? Well, obviously, it's it, there's such a range in size of companies. I mean, there's the massive mm-hmm. and there's the startups. But in general, as I'm talking to the, you know, smaller, to, you know, to emerging type companies, you know, a lot of the mistakes I see, if you break it down into two general categories, one would be vendor to vendor. Mm-hmm. That might be a surprise to some people. And the other is obviously the vendor to the customer. In terms of the vendor to customer and the terms of mistakes that they could, you know, bump into, um, I would probably key on, you know, the the subscription terms and the start of the terms. When does everything start? And that becomes surprisingly a big issue, particularly when you're dealing with subscription terms. You know, is it when you sign the agreement, pay them all the money up front, or is it on live? You know, so you want to keep a good track of of you know your rollout and then the compare that to the hospital expectations. And you have to listen. You might have an opportunity where they, you know, it's a a ten site rollout. They want it all at once. As a big bang makes sense or not? You got to work through those things. So I would say, as to the, you know, the relationship with the provider, you really have to be most aware of, you know, the the general terms and the pathway they want to take to install. And then secondly, you really have to be very careful of business associate agreements and HIPAA. Mm. You know. Are you a direct business associate? Are you a subcontractor? You know, are you being interfaced to your company? You know, are you a subcontractor BAA? So those are the the big main ones, you know, as to hospital. As to the vendor to vendor, you can kind of group it into, you know, maybe uh, three categories. Again, I'm going to hit the business associate agreement because here's where you end up with the, you know, possibly two vendors working together and serving, you know, one hospital with a combined solution. Well, who's first in line as the, you know, the business associate that's getting the data first and who's second. And I see that get reversed all the time. And I see that as a a big problem. Another might be the um, SLAs, service level agreements and pass-throughs. You know, if you're dealing with a vendor and, you know, maybe they're just distributing your product, uh, which dovetails to my next, next issue would be you know, distribution agreements and SLAs between mm-hmm. two vendors. So if you're the, you know, the guy that's being resold your product through somebody else, you need to make sure that your SLA terms are covered, at least in their terms. You know, maybe you don't offer 24-7 support, but they do. And if you're a sub, are you expected to now staff up for 24-7? So that's just a, you know, a quick highlight. Um, as for the distribution aspect, you know, who's paper, who's selling it, you know, are they truly, you know, is the little guy allowing the big guy to resell and the little guy's product will be on the big guy's paper or is the big guy referring, you know, doing the selling and marketing work. And then when it's time to sell, they say, okay, here's our contract for our piece. And here's this contract for the other guy. Um, you know, those are some of the things you really, really have to be aware of. You might not know what you even want going in if you're the little guy. Um, but that would be some of the, you know, the real highlights. And, you know, I wouldn't say mistake, but maybe oversight. You don't know what you don't know, but you do mm-hmm. have 
careful of everything or you could lose your company. Um, you know, I have seen some bad ones. Um, I guess the here's a big mistake that some small companies or even big companies might make. You are vendor of choice. It's a huge deal, you know, massive healthcare system, let's say. Mm-hmm. And you send up your contract and they send it right back and say, we won't use yours. Here's ours. Now, some companies will fight that to the end and try to, uh, you know, use their template, which I think is correct, given that it's the company's IP and their technology. However, some of these big health systems, I mean, they're very advanced and very technologically savvy, and they have tons of lawyers and they they believe they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I've seen a client get an agreement in that type situation where if they had signed it, Without checking with me, they would have signed over their entire company and all their IP rights to the hospital. <laughs> so that obviously would have devastated, ended the company right there. So carelessness, if they just said, oh, they must know what they're doing, their ABC Health Center, that is not always the case. And it's not intentional or, or sinister, I don't believe, but that's a real world example. So, But one thing you got to touch on there, Bill, is the the let's just take providers, but it, it could apply to vendors also. Um, if you have a large hospital, uh, hospital system or uh, kind of a mega practice with, with many providers, um, they're going to be able, there's such a scale that they can have dedicated HIPAA experts and security uh, officers, things like that. A small practice one, two, three, or four providers is not going to be able to have that level of expertise. Right. Um, and so uh, the, the same thing, uh, it, it seems true of vendors, the really large EHR vendors. Uh, a good example is we're moving up to this deadline uh, for the in, around interoperability of the FIRE API so, right. we'll, so folks can get access to their information. A really large organization could dedicate a number of people to that. A small EHR vendor uh, is not going to bring near the uh, expertise to understand the nuances and the workflow around that. So there's kind of an imbalance there, uh, uh, you know, that I don't know if that's ever going to be really worked out, you know, so. That's true. That, that you know, the imbalance exists both ways, you know, it's uh, so for the smaller operation, you know, they really have to be aware and and do their research and, you know, bring in the lawyers, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I, I'm lucky that or fortunate in my long career that I've, you know, I've learned so much at Meditech from a technical aspect. I mean, when you deal with a quarter of the nation's hospitals and 40 percent are Canadian and then you figure all the consultants and employees and lawyers that all those people you know, bring mm-hmm. to a table. I've had a massive amounts of input. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see um, the progression. And I'm just pleased that I've been able to, you know, understand not at the super technical level, but on a, you know, a good foundational knowledge of the technical aspects. And that really helps me sit at a table and hear, you know, one side saying, oh, we can't get that over there, you know, via this API, because it has to go through so and so. So I can, you know, I can parse out the questions that need to be asked and hopefully arrive at the solution where both sides of the table just say, absolutely, that's it, write it down. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, to, uh, to our audience, um, if you're just joining this episode, 
I'm Tim Tate, and on this episode of the Tate Chronicles, I'm speaking with Bill O'Toole. Now, Bill, um, uh, you've been in healthcare uh, domain for over 30 years, and you know, t 20, 30 years ago, those early days of health information technology, you know, before even certification, it's kind of like the Wild West. There's uh, confusion around requirements and lack of clarification, and um, you know, there were many, I'll give you an example, uh, uh, laboratory instruments that maybe could generate results results in an electronic format, but they wouldn't be in an HL7 format. They could be imported EHR. And, and so it seems to me that at least there's been a big move forward in the standardization of requirements and code sets and things like that. Has that been your experience? Yes. I mean, overall, you know, through you know, roughly our both of our careers, uh, the past 30 years, I mean, as I think of the progression of things from, let's say early 80s, FDA certification for blood bank, soft, blood bank software. Mm -hmm. And then you had the FCC on handheld devices, yep. Y2K, Sarbanes. Let's think HIPAA was 03, ONC, was 2004 by executive order then mandated by cures act and now in the, the high tech act excuse me so what i saw there you know through all of that is you know in a, in a good way um you know the government saying i guess the government and society in general saying data you know this is all new look at all this stuff we can do yes so you know the government you know stepping in and 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 helping out with the high tech act and reimbursements and then you know as we you know approach i'll say the next decade it's got to be interoperability tefka and sequoia and and yes i think it's a good thing that the government is is helping but you know at the same time and i know this sounds very negative but it is the government and things can get tougher and harder to do and take longer so my hope is that you know as an industry in you know incentive or push that you know we can start doing all this ourselves you know the tefka and sequoia working on the uh qhin you know common agreements but you know if we can start at the bottom up and deal with little guys and uh create an api license that everybody likes you know like an open source license why not get the ball moving um you know the uh, finance industry you know they have data standards we should have our own data standards we should be able to do all this and i you know i look forward to it so yeah i mean the the old days of the you know the wild west in health it with you know little to no data protection you know right. it wasn't, wasn't so much a thought really nobody was being sinister saying oh look we can do all this with this data uh you know like the metas of today but it was uh you know, a realization that I would say probably started, I'm going to say either New York or California, but I remember California and dealing with hospitals. This was at Meditech, and they were very concerned about the information about their patients. Yes. Um, you know, and hey, Meditech, you know, you have to keep this this data secure, you know, and I just remember that that theme then. Now, we were dealing with a hospital that had celebrities you know uh movie stars in it so obviously they didn't want you know joe jones appendectomy getting out in the public or what have you but that's really where i started you know seeing the beginning of data protections i would say well you know um 
when those first commercially available computers were being brought in, um, at first, at least uh, what I saw in the health information technology space, it really wasn't for the clinical data. That first wave was for practice management systems, uh, patient uh, uh, demographics, billing information, who they're, you know, th that kind of stuff. Uh, and then maybe five years after that, we started getting into the clinical data. Um, and, you know, we can't fail to mention that there was actually something born called the internet. Yeah. And when, once that happened, uh, it, it really opened everything up in terms of the sharing of data and uh, clinical decision support often and, and electronic prescribing, all those things. Uh, you know, we're, it's really it's really been an evolution. There's no doubt wow. about that. I just um, thought of one, as you said. That, yeah. What was that? Uh, case mix management was mandated in the 80s, I think. And that's mm. when people had to write case mix management to go along with um, admissions. So that well, was a good, good data move. Yes, it was. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, kind of made a reference to TEFCA and interoperability. So let's talk about that a little bit, because I know you're uh, very interested in uh, focused uh, in a, as an interest area of yours on interoperability, because you've seen it from square one. Uh, we had the, uh, I guess, some of the first attempts for the regional health information organizations and then the health information exchanges. And and now there's, uh, you know, I guess the fire APIs that have been mandated are really for patient access to their data. Uh, but th that kind of I don't, I, universal or uh, uh, a complete set of data uh, that is, I guess, promised by TEFCA of true interoperability, uh, do you think? You think TEFCA uh, is a viable option, or are there any real challenges to it beyond just adoption? I I'm, asking, I'm asking you to read the tea leaves. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge, yeah, adoption, but that can be, adoption can be forced, and I don't necessarily mean by legal mandate, but right. you know, it can be forced just by the crowd. You know, if everybody's saying, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. You know, who's holding out? Who isn't agreeing to it? I think I think that plus, you know, being able, the, the biggest hurdle they probably have, in my opinion, is, is coming up with the framework that can be, you know, sold, adopted, you know, by the industry. And it's probably going to be the vendors first. I would think, my guess is the hospitals, you know, they understand patient data is the patients. I think initially it was, Perhaps some hospitals said it's our data, and I Correct. always no, yeah. no, it's always the patient's data is my, you know, my focus. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think their biggest challenge will be, you know, doing their job, meaning, meaning coming up with a good framework and some pieces of paper, just like we have, you know, a sample business associate agreement under ONC that somewhere, you know, any little company or any little hospital can turn to and say, okay, that's the minimum standard. I know what to do. I'd sure like to have a few pieces of paper that do an API license. Any two vendors in a hospital, anybody could pick up and say, geez, that's fair. I understand. I do this. You do that. Here we go. That that would be my goal. I mean, TEFCA is top down and it it's important because 
it, you need to build from the top down for the top entities, I believe. For the, the meaningful use program, uh, hospitals, no doubt, are going to adopt health information technology. For providers, um, I think we'd had a plateau. I don't I'll make up some numbers, maybe 25 to 30% of uh, uh, providers, uh, not counting hospitals, uh, were using EHRs. And then we had the whole meaningful use incentive program. And I think that drove it to 70 or 80%. Um, and then there's been this um, push with the macro MIPS program uh, that based on how you use that sort of that certified technology it affected your reimbursement upwards or or in in a negative fashion um and so i I believe there are some uh potential financial reimbursement benefits that have been outlined in tefka especially for hospitals around the uh macromips promoting interoperability aspects of things i don't know the exact details but it it is going to take some something like that to really spur adoption. I, you know, that's just my two cents on it. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to it, and and I think you know the more entities uh, realize that you know the endpoint is good, then let's uh, you know I know this sounds a little bit naive and pie in the sky, but you know we can do this. We can all get it done. So I you know I'm all for it. I think. The sooner we get there, the better. Um, it just makes so much sense. We kind of know the architecture uh, of TEFCA. Uh, the actual <clears throat> use case is going to be interesting to see as they develop. But I can imagine a patient uh, going to a doctor's uh, provider's office, <clears throat> the provider in their EHR, you know, the patient's registered, they know who that patient is, and in their EHR there's a tab or button they could push that pulls the Tefka network, or which is really a network of networks, right? And and pull pulls all that stuff in from any anybody who's uh, connected to any of the uh, qualified health information networks. Now, what that data will look like? Uh, will it just be a mumble jumbo thing? Will it uh, be duplicates in there? Will 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 there be real value in that at the point of care? Uh, the the quick and easy answer is well, of course. But you know, the devil is going to be in the details. Uh, I, I certainly hope it. I certainly hope it lives up to its promise. I do too. I, I, I hope. I hope so. I mean, we've got a search engine within a search engine. You know, we're going to use the Tefka network to find the data that we want using the entire big network. Uh, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah. Um, we we don't have too much time, just another uh, couple of minutes here, but um, I know you probably go to a lot of conferences. Are you going to be going to the upcoming, well, we're recording this in December of <laughs> 2022. Um, uh, March has both the, the Vive conference as well as the HIM conference. Are you planning on attending, attending those? Yes, I do. Uh, HIMS is a regular for me, um, except in COVID, I skipped it. But right, sure. I definitely, and I also like health. H L T H. I saw that in Boston. I was very impressed. Oh, I, I, I was wondering about that. I'm sorry, I missed it. Yeah, I really liked yeah. it. It was uh, a lot of technology being displayed with less sales emphasis. Is how I would describe it. Sense. I, I really enjoyed that one. But yep, uh, the conferences are great and. You know, most of my time is spent 
you know, trying to discover and learn and see what's new and, you know, walking the fringes of the halls, you know, and meeting all the little guys, the big sure. guys. I can find them anytime on the internet, but the little guys, I'm so interested in the new stuff. And it really is amazing to walk around. I mean, I've been in this for 30 years. I've seen disk drives go from <laughs> 100, I remember. 100 megabytes. Uh, yes. A washing machine to a uh, thumb drive. So I know. It's it's an amazing thing. So I do enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm just going to uh, fascinate, uh, you know, the two things I'm really fascinated, well, there are a number of things, you know, Tefka, the, the promise of Tefka. I'm really interested in artificial intelligence and healthcare and uh, uh, precision medicine. Once we can kind of get some genomic standards and, and databases up and running, um, that's going to be exciting going forward. Agreed. Well, but before we say goodbye to everybody, Bill, um, how can our listeners contact you to find out more about your services or or maybe figure out some way to catch up with you at, at Vive or um, HEMS next sure. year? How can they reach you? My, my best best suggestion is my website, O'ToolLawGroup.com. I'm happy to talk to anybody. If somebody has questions, you know, Feel free to ask me, you know, I don't start the billing, you know, if there's networks, you know, if you're trying to look for a connection, I know people everywhere. So uh, small companies, if you got some general type questions, feel free to ask and I'll, I'll tell you when I think it would hit the billing clock, but yeah. otherwise I'm more than willing to help. Well, th thanks for that, Bill. I, I think uh, you probably have a philosophy like mine before it's all said and done. You want to have a conversation with everybody in the field at least you once. <laughs> To our listeners, thanks for uh, joining us on this episode of Take Chronicles. And, of course, I offer a special salute to my friend and guest today, Bill O'Toole. Bill, thanks for coming aboard today. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you, everyone. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tate Chronicles transmission ending now.